In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the Daily Miffy and Grizzlies podcast. Uh, we took a week off last week. There was so much news in Grizzlies world that we just couldn't keep up with it. You like for a podcast to have a little bit of shelf life and things were changing so rapidly with a Mike Conley trade and a draft night trade and, and the draft. We couldn't quite keep our, keep up with that. So we took a week off. We're back this week. We're going to sort through the results of last week's NBA draft and we're going to get ready for the start of free agency this weekend. I'm Chris Harrington, as always, and I'm welcomed by a return guest this week to help us make sense of it all. It is Peter Edmonston of The Athletic and Sports 56 WHBQ Radio. What's up? I am thrilled to be back at the Daily Memphian. Thank you for having me, Chris. So we um, last time I had you in here, um, I can't remember what we talked about, but we, we sort of made plans to, for you to come back before the draft to sort of talk about draft prospects and stuff. But then the Grizzlies got the second overall pick. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about. It right? was not anything. The, the draft really was a total um, non, non-event other than your thought that the Grizzlies would probably end up doing something to get some other pick. And sure enough, they did. We didn't realize exactly how that would come about, but they certainly did. Yeah. I mean, if the Conley trade had happened earlier and we sort of knew there was a 23 pick out there, right. we would have had more time to sort of talk about prospects there but that sort of came together pretty quickly um let's let's look backward a little bit first and then i want to spin ahead because the nba calendar the the next big thing on the calendar is still looming and that's free agency um but you know the Grizzlies sort of had four big boxes to check this summer and they've checked three of them they had they hired a coach they traded mike conley they conducted their draft and so the, the last one's yet to come let's go back over the first three though do you have any opinion or any sense on the coaching hire well uh i think I, I have kind of two two sort of modes of thought here, Chris. Like, number one is, on the one hand, if looking at it from the strictly positive side, I think all of these things that we're going to talk about, one of the, the, the thing I, I like the most is that all of them seem to be working in concert. Right. That the coach seems to match the personnel, which in the decisions that you're making seem to match the coach, in that you're going with a, a younger group. He's a very good player development coach, and that seems like something you're going to need to have. So everybody seems to kind of be on the same page, whereas in previous years it's felt like the front office might not be on the same page as the coaching staff, which right. is in flux and all that. I do feel like that that whole idea of partnership that they've talked about seems to be in effect, and you've seen it over the last week or so with the decisions they made, even going to the Brandon Clark and the whole thing we'll get into with, with the draft. That is all good. I don't really think we know anything about Taylor Jenkins as an in-game coach other than what we could surmise from Mike Budenholzer and from the systems that he ran in Austin under the Spurs uh, rubric, and right. that's all just guesswork. You have no I idea. I think we've learned over the years not to um, assume too much right. about assistant coaches based on exactly. the head coaches they worked for. I mean, Mark Ivaroni is a great example right. of that. Lionel Hollins can go. You could, they're, 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 there's plenty of those examples. So on the positive side, I think all of that is really working in concert. My only negative is that I feel like we're in a bit of an echo chamber. There's a lot of – uh, homogeneity as far as the signing, the, the the coach, the general manager now, the president, all of them from either Ivy League or extremely well-educated backgrounds, all of them came in through an internship program that then blossomed into something much greater. All of them seem to be conversant in this, um, I don't know whether it's Silicon Valley or corporate speak, but very corporate in terms of how they they get things done. And I, I, I wonder if we're not uh, seeing a little bit too much of the same with regard to how they're, they're I, I get that you want to be on the same page, but I feel like we may be cutting out some outside 
possibilities. Uh, and we'll see with the, with the other hires and assistant coaches, but it's a, it's a lot of samey same to me. To me, and I've made some of those points. To me, the risk in that area is more in season than off season. I, I'm someone who I actually don't care that much about from a player evaluation roster management standpoint. Where you know, where you in the, did you ever play? Where you, you right. hanging out in the, in the in the musty gyms, whatever. I do think once you get in season, to me, it's more of a communication mm-hmm. question when you're communicating with players and you're sort of dealing with a flow of a season. I actually think. To me, like these sort of old school, new school things can be reconciled and it probably gets overblown. But to me, it's much as to me, people underrate the value of of sort of the precision that comes from a a legal background, business Mm -hmm. background, those kind of backgrounds. They underrate that as much as, as people underrate it the other way. And I think what we've seen in the roster management stuff this summer has been some precision and -hmm. and we see the value in, in, in wanting to negotiate things all the way out and, and to sort of have that level of planning. And so I think I don't, I don't, from the, in terms of the coaching hire, I have no idea. I I have no opinion on whether on the Taylor Jenkins hire based on what I knew. It's probably not what I would have done, but I was going on very, very partial information. Right. But I to, to, to spin it forward a little bit. If you look at the roster management stuff they've done, um, the Conley trade in the draft, I, I have very little criticism. I I, I, oh, mean, no. I, th- I think everything they've done looks really smart on in those areas. No, I mean, and that's and that's why it's I'm of two minds. Like I I think everything I've been extremely positive about what they've done thus far. I think it's all been very well thought out, uh, as you point out, very precise. Um, you know the 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 little details of the Mike Conley trade. You know, to get yourself good protection to allow yourself to either end up with a lottery pick in the next two years. Would anyone or, have been surprised if that trade had happened in the second? It was just a future, a 2020 lottery protected pick. And no, that was it. no that's, what, that's what I mean. Like, that, I, I thought that's I thought, what I expected. I thought, right? you know, at best you might get the 2021, but in, to, to get what looks like a 2022 pick, even if that's a middle or late first round pick, that should be a stacked draft if all goes according to plan. So that has more value than your average mid to late sort of pick. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a very good thing. The the, the structuring of the deal to allow yourself to get a player accept uh, a trade exception of of, you know, potentially 25 million dollars. That's uh, interesting and 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 useful for a team that is probably in bad contract acquisition mode. That gives you another weapon to to use in in that in that sense. So my 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 issue with that is not with regard to what they've done and I think you're probably right, you know, as to where that's going to come into play. My issue is more of a long-term thing. I feel as though we we are entering this sphere, and it's kind of something that was touched on in that whole analytics discussion. Like Jalen Rose talked about, there's a racial component to it, I suppose that 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 needs to be discussed with regard to how are guys getting into the business right. and how can they? If you have a team full of guys that that were able to take year long internships that essentially were in Zach Kleiman's case, he paid to do it. Right. Uh, in other cases, were paid little or nothing. You limit your of yes. you limit the, the the people that you're speaking with. You limit your your population of potential hires, and in Memphis, especially with a city that is majority black, a city that has issues with poverty or low income, to me these resonate more strongly. And I concern I'm concerned about the the composition of the front office as it pertains to that aspect of it long term. That's a different discussion. That's one, but I can't help but that's just been in my mind as we've been going through this process. Well, in, ter- in terms of you know the conversation that came up around that that, that Jalen Rose interview in the New Yorker, um, I think everything Jalen Rose said in the interview was was on point. Um, but I do think it's a more partial 
conversation than it's been presented as in the sense we're sort of off tangent, but this is a good tangent to go mm-hmm. down. And so to me, it sort of conflated two different issues. They are overlapping and related issues, but they are not the exact same. One of them is what's the route for former players. And one of them is the issue of front office diversity. And those are related, but those are not the same thing, no. right? No, not necessarily. No. Um, you want avenues for diversity in front offices among people who weren't former players, Correct. right? Correct, absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, you want, you know, Mazai Jerry didn't play in the NBA, no. right? And or, or you want women, you want you want right. uh, you want uh, player you have different uh, a racial diversity, you want a um, you know an ethnic diversity if you can. I mean, you just it, and especially in, in a league that is so uh, international now and is so multicultural now. I think that's a that's an important component to have in your front office. It's not to say that you need to at the exclusion of everything else, you right? Know, but but there is. I just th- to me, there's no avenue, and you see, and, and the Grizzlies have laid bare to me. I'm and again. I had this conversation with Jason Wexler, you know, uh, privately. Like I'm, it's not like I'm not I'm not criticizing them or anything like that for what they've done. It's just it is the current situation of candidates and how they get there. This has laid bare to me um, a potential problem and a, an area of concern for the NBA going forward. If if you continue to move the metric of front office, uh, which the, the the sort of skills that you need to be effective as a front office person into an increasing area of machine learning and algorithms, which are a major component of what the Grizzlies are doing now in, in, in the back end of the front office. Areas where players who would normally be spending their time playing in those years where other people are getting their advanced education, their, their, their secondary degree, their master's, their, their PhD, whatever you need to get that done. To me, there has to be a component to, to help them. And there also has to be a component to people who can't uh, start economically in the way that most people in front right. offices do. We have to figure out a way to to bridge that. If if you're serious about actually right. diversifying, if you're not, then you can keep doing what you're doing. Well, this is why I think it's important to sort of to understand there is a difference between the pathway of former. I'm not saying it doesn't matter that right. former players have a pathway, but there is a difference between the, what barriers may or may not exist, or, or 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 you know, for former players to transition to front offices relative to the way it used to be. Correct. Yep. And the issue globally of diversity in front offices. Exactly. That's why I think those are separate things. And I think when you listen to that sort of anal- quote unquote, an- I, I, I'll confess I've said this before. I don't like the word analytics as it applies to basketball. It's just such a catch-all. I mean, well, I think it's I think it's it's pretentious, and I think it's sort of a linguistic barrier right. in a way. Um, but the thing about one of the things that struck me about that discussion was it talked about analytics, quote unquote, and really what it was talking about was the role of information, statistics, whatever, in evaluating players and implementing basketball strategy, right? That's really what that discussion was about. And it applied that to the issue of working in front offices. And to me, that takes a fairly narrow view of what running an NBA team Mm -hmm. actually is Mm -hmm. now. And I think there needs to be an awareness. There needs to be more awareness from both sides of this, but I think there does need to be more awareness from player side that having been an, an NBA player or an NBA coach for that matter only prepares you so much for what is a different job of running a franchise. This is not the old red hour back days or oh, whatever. No question, yeah. Like it is a more complicated job because the the rule structure is more complicated. I mean, you can look at what, what Vladi Divac did with the, the Kings, uh, for example, or what uh, Rob Palenka has done with the Lakers. Or, you know, little issues where you you just didn't pay attention to right. to minutia, or you just kind of overpaid, or you weren't hundred percent conversant with what if, was going on, you, and that's costly. If if to to, to, to to, to compete in a game and thrive at a game, you have to understand the rules of the game. 
every player and every coach knows the rules of the basketball game on the floor inside and out, right? Things that seem that seem obvious but wouldn't to an outsider. Like, you know, when you have three seconds to do this and when you have five seconds right. to do that. Oh, yeah. Like everything and it's it's intuitive. Look at the rules of the wall game. I mean, James Harden has manipulated those rules. It's it's actually a fairly complicated set of rules if you're not familiar with it, but you know it in and out. Sure. To run an NBA to run an NBA franchise, you're operating under a different set of rules, but you have to know the rules of that game. They're no less is, important. Which is the I collective mean, bargaining agreement. No question about it. And that's even more complicated. And so I think the diversity issue is extremely important, but I think former players underrate how much they don't know about the rules of what is a different game. I agree. I mean, and I there's think not enough self-awareness on that. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think a lot of players have looked, and the same thing with coaching to some extent. Like coaching and is to your different. point about Vladi Divac, this is not... This is why it's a, the player issue is separate from the diversity issue to a degree. I mean, Vladi Divac is not an African-American player, no. right? But you've seen, like, you know, former player doesn't necessarily – it helps you in some ways in terms of communicating and understanding the game on the floor, but there are other things it does not prepare you for. Well, and I think, I think that, that ideally the Grizzlies we'll, – we'll see how the structure ends up playing out, but – you know, they've got Rich Cho as the vice president of basketball strategy, which may be a, a, a spinoff of, you know, this machine he, learning he, stuff. He's, and the his, head, he's the head of research. And, it's, and, that's, and that's what I mean. Like, you know, when the research aspect of it, they're, they're going to do some pretty out there stuff, uh, I would think, uh, you know, based on what I've heard and, and, and what I imagine based on the, the backgrounds of the people that are starting to get involved. That will be a pretty out there thing. And that's not something a former player would probably have a lot of uh, awareness or interest in. But then by the same token, if you can use Tayshawn Prince as a liaison to get the former players and kind of be that bridge, that's possible. I still think at the end of the day, we need to figure out a way to uh, get those guys conversant in those things that you're going to need. Because increasingly, it's becoming a now computer. What, you're you're going to have to be aware of some of these these trends, at the very least aware and probably conversant with. Not only do you need people from all these different backgrounds, you need the people need people from all the different backgrounds from all of them to be able to communicate across those backgrounds and to sort of understand yeah, the other parts absolutely. of the backgrounds, it's right? Not easy. It's not easy to it, do. It's not enough to say, well, this is my cap expert and this is my former player. You want all those people to have a little bit of expertise or at least fluency in some of the other areas. Well, I think they're trying and, and I think they're trying to do that. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think they're trying to do that and I hope they do. I didn't mean to take us like off off of no, here, but it was uh but it was it was just something kind of on my mind as we as we started to discuss this. I think to kind of to bring it back, like I think w- the theory of what they're trying to do is uh, is a good one for what Memphis needs right now, and the, what the Grizzlies organization when that cross pollination that you talk about. If they can have um, a, a nice flow, a very straight line flow from the front office down to the coaching staff with regard to player development, what they want to see from players, how because that's going to become an increasingly huge part of it. You know, with Jaron Jackson, do you see him as a five? you see him as a four? Do you want him more wing skills? Do you see him as like, could he develop into a Giannis type where you have some ball handling and some ability to initiate? Or do you see him more as a five where you stretch him out and you kind of make him bulk him up? I mean, these are big things right. that will come into play instantly this year as to you know, where who you play him with and what style you play. And they all got to be on the same page when they're doing this stuff. Right. And bring this to the draft a little bit. Um, The John Morant pick, I mean, I I concluded that was the right pick. Most people instantly concluded that was the right pick. I didn't think it was as instant as that. I wanted to sort of work through the the process a little bit. You were also... You fairly, you're fairly strong that Morant was the right. Yeah, player, right? yeah. I mean, it wasn't like an instantaneous thing, but but the more you look at it, the more you see, it, especially for what they want to do right now. I think he's he he fits that that mold, and I think he he ended up taking a, a lead on R.J. Barrett in my mind. I think those two guys are ahead of the others. What do you make about does having a, the thing about Jaron Jackson Jr. 
as a, as a cornerstone is you can go almost any direction with Jaron Jackson Jr. To your point, you have to sort of decide on a direction, yeah. and that may impact how you develop him. But, like, all roads are open yep. when you start with Jaron Jackson Jr., yep. right? Um, four, five, half-court, up-tempo. Like, he, he, can, he fit, can do pretty he much can, anything. He can yeah. fit in anything. Mm-hmm. John Morant sort of – John Morant, like, narrows those options. And he, he presents you more of a road that you sort of have to go down. Um in a league that is becoming a little bit more about multiple playmakers, about outside shooting, um, the best players in the in the NBA by and large now are are, are perimeter playmakers with size, uh, guys who can switch defensively. Mm-hmm. Like this is not a description necessarily of John Morant. And so, what do you make of the limitations that you get when you make that one of your two cornerstones? Well, I think part of it will be from a player development standpoint. What do they see in him? Uh, two two facets will will make that determination for me. Number one is the shooting, um, because you know I, 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 I've I've written about it and I tracked it. I went back and watched you know all of his shots from last year. He had a propensity to take very long three pointers for whatever reason, whether he needed space, whether he just was. He took probably more long threes. By that I mean virtually NBA threes than college threes. And he hit them actually at a rate that was similar to or better than Damian Lillard when he when Damian Lillard was at Weber State, CJ McCollum at Lehigh, Trey Young even. Um, you know, he 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 hit those shots. Now his form is not uh ideal. The release is nowhere near as quick as Trey Young or anything. He like shoots that. it off his chin a little bit. He does he kinda he kinda has to set, he needs his feet set. He's right. like off the balance, he's a little less comfortable. But within that limitation, he's pretty good actually like and i know it's, it's a little bit like jaron where the, the the form is kind of funky but the results are, are are pretty good if you think or if you can develop a little bit off the bounce game and just a pull-up like if you feel pretty comfortable getting a pull-up because right. there was no mid-range game for him at all last year um then that opens a lot of different doors for you now that would be to me where you need to that mike conley where you set that high screen guy goes under boom pull up real quick he doesn't really do that yet so we'll see if that comes that opens a whole different set of doors for him because he's so athletic that if you have to start respecting that he's going to blow by everybody the other thing is defense was his defense last year which was abhorrent it was honestly a, he was a non-combatant it for the was, most part it was it was atrocious i mean at times it was you you get angry watching it like what what's happening but as I watch those games and you watch the full games, which I went back and watched like a lot right. of actual full games, you see the load he was carrying oh, yeah. on offense. There was nothing happening with Murray State offensively if he wasn't doing it. It just zero. I mean, and oftentimes he'd set up guys and they just blow these, these, these great shots. So I give him a little bit of a pass because he's, that's, that's a lot. You can't be impactful on both ends and play 38, 39 minutes like he was doing a lot of 40 minutes in a lot of the games. You you can't do that. So was that de- he's got in? I am told, and again, I I'm not, but in high school AAU and all those things by people that I you know my my buddy Cole Zwicker who's a big scout guy, other other guys like that, they say it was okay. Like there's there's some there's some good defense. It wasn't terrible. So like I think maybe he's got the fundamentals. He's got good hands. He's got quick hands. Got pretty quick feet. I don't I don't see him as a total disaster. Right. I think he could be better than Trey Young was, for example, this year on defense. But we don't know that because we haven't seen it. So if he can develop defensively and he get a little bit of a shot, I think I'm not foreclosing much of anything on Ja if he can do that. But those are two big ifs. So they made the trade, they made the Conley trade, and then part of that is they made the trade on draft night for for Brandon Clark, who was slipping. So so they've acquired Brandon Clark, who is a super athletic. Sort of a rim run defense first, but a rim running uh, mm-hmm. um, 
I guess you would call him a four next to Jaron Jackson. Yeah. It's almost more of a five in some ways. It, you'd be sort of unconventional. He's a hybrid. Yeah, he's a hybrid. In, in the way you play them together. Not physically strong enough to be a five yet, I don't think. So on one hand, they just brought in um, Brandon Clark, and he's going to be 23 years old. So you would hope he's not a long-term project, right? right. He's like an instant rotation player. And the indications are, and we'll see what happens, but all the indications are that they are hoping to bring back Jonas Valanciunas on some kind of multi-year deal in July. What do you make of of those two things in concert with each other and what it says about the Grizzlies going forward? See, this is this is where I, I'm kind of uh, – I'm, I'm interested to see how they do this because to me at this point, um, now respecting the fact that you need to put out a roster that is – I mean, depending, I guess, depending on what you want to do. If you want to go full on crazy rebuild, then you could put out whatever rosters you want at any right. given time. But if, if they're not going to do that, then they need to put out a certain level of, of competence. If you play, if you, if you bring back Jonas on a multi year deal, and presumably if he's opting out, he wants a four year deal. I mean, he could have gotten an equivalent of a three year deal through extensions or whatever right. else. So that tells me he wants four. If you're bringing him back on four, I mean, the contract could probably be tradable. Maybe it declines. Maybe that helps you a little bit. But that still is an indication that you see this guy as a, as a valuable piece, which means he's a five, which means Jaron's a four, because you're, you're, you're bringing him back as a starter. You're not bringing him back as a, as a, as a platoon right. guy. So you might platoon a little bit, but you're still – so that that then is another piece that pushes Jaron in a certain direction. That Clark, I think, is, is best suited in his first year to be a third big coming off the bench and all that, so that's fine. Right. But down the line, it still begs that question, Chris, do you see Jaron – as a five or a four. And I still think that's because Clark is going to push Jaron to a five, but Jonas pushes Jaron to a four. So you have this little bit of a, of a push pull here. And I don't think playing Jaron as a backup five while starting him as a four. I don't, I don't love that. Cause I don't think that he, he didn't do well there last year. I, I well, think you're was, developing two different sets of skills. He was 19 years old last year. Well, that's true. I mean, I'm, I, I just, mean, I you're, bringing, you're bringing an answering question, though. Do you need to lock in to one style of play and one quote-unquote position with him and develop that with him? Or his, is his strength, his versatility, and do you want to allow that to, to continue to be a strength? Uh, I don't know what the answer to that is. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. That's not a rhetorical question, right? No, me. no, no. I, no, I think uh, it's a, that's that's that is their question, right? Now, too. and so is it? Is there? If the question is who is best to play with Jaron, is there a definitive answer to that question, or is that question optionality? Is that question you want a toolbox that has a big center if you want to play him that way, and you have a toolbox that's a guy who's more of a, a four energy guy who will allow him the, the switch to the five. See, this is why I think why I'm just I, I'm not. I mean, I understand the, the situation with Jonas, and you know they may have already had some sort of a you know semi tacit agreement, you know, based on the situation that usually happens. So I, maybe things have changed, but for for me, when you commit long term, you know, you that's that's at least a, a, you're you're sort of pushing away some of this um, variability and, and this this possibility that Jaron has. You're you're pushing a little bit of that away. You're forcing him into a certain direction. Which is okay. I could that could be fine, but you're taking those options off the table at a time when, you know, your team is not going to be very good, and this right. is really the time to experiment. If you're ever going to do it, this is a time to kind of start to to see what you've got. Jaron at 19, he may well have grown. I mean, he may well have got. Look at what Giannis did. I mean, it's, it's possible, well, guys. You, you assume he has. Yeah, at I mean, least you to some degree. Uh, an inch he, here. He won't some, be. A, he won't be a finished product physically mm, going into the mm, season. Mm, but you assume he is in some ways, if not in height, then in build. Some I, ways, a little bit different physical product than he was last season. Certainly. So like. And then here's my other thing, Chris. Like, I don't, from Jonas's standpoint, 
unless if there is a decent offer that's out there. And I think, you know, we'll see. It's bigs or it's a tricky market, whatever. But he he showed quite a bit, and he's he's very talented. There are certain teams out there that would be interested and would have needs for a guy like him. What's what's in it for him to well, lock up to, the, to, my, to this group? My assumption, and sometimes things go ways you don't see. Right. My assumption is that he would not opt out. His agent would not let him opt no, Leon out. Rose of, is a smart guy. Of seventeen point six million without a pretty firm understanding of a landing spot that is worth opting out of seventeen point six million. Correct. And given um, that the tea leaves suggest, both in the initial reporting and some other stuff I've heard, the tea leaves suggest the Grizzlies are that landing spot. I just assume that's where it's headed. Like maybe something happens mm-hmm. in the market unexpected from one side or the other. I just assume that's where it's headed. And so when when the, when the reporting first came out, I I started with the assumption of the conclusion and worked backwards. Right? Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, he's opting out of seventeen point six to do a long term deal with the Grizzlies. Like, why would that happen? And my first thought was, well, maybe the Grizzlies want that because they're not sure what's going to happen in a Conley deal. And before that Conley deal happened, they had luxury tax issues. They so maybe, maybe they wanted to bring that starting mm-hmm. number down. Which so, would make sense. So yeah. instead of an opt-in and extend, which would start at 17.6, that may go down from there, but it would still start there. Right. So my first thought was, well, the Grizzlies want to bring that number down. Well, they've made this Conley trade that they have a lot more flexibility now. So now I wonder if it was Jonas really wanting, and this is where I would have trepidation. Mm-hmm. Jonas really wanting a fourth year on the deal, which you can't get, as you mentioned, you can't get that from an opt-in and extension that has to be a new contract. And and so I sort of at this point expect there may whether it's a fully maybe it's a partial guarantee or something like that on right. a fourth year, that there must be a fourth year involved in the contract. To me, I would hope that any deal they sign um would they would structure it to decline. And for the contract to decline, and you don't you, you don't sell this to Jonas right, on the front end, right, right. but a contract that would decline along with your expectation of his role over time, and that that you do hope that it's a tradable contract that you, if you yeah. sign him to a four year deal, you don't necessarily going to have him for four years, right? And that because I think Jonas Valanciunas, if he comes back, is the starting center on opening night, but I think he's pretty quickly going to drift into more of a role like he had in Toronto. Which was a platoon role. See, that's the thing is, I and think I think there's always going to be a, a spot in the rotation for a oh, platoon, for, sure. for a, a true center platoon player on this roster. For sure, and I, I mean, the other thing that I would think about is what um, is there a possibility of a sign and trade out there with a team right. that needs a big and wants to get off some money and wants to, you know, like a Charlotte comes to mind where you would think about like you know something. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a possibility I would think because the Grizzlies could then give him that deal. Uh, there's not too many because of the way they changed it. The, the signing trade is not as common as it used to be, but that was a situation where it might come into play. Um, I, I just I think the Grizzlies have always had this aversion, Chris, to like full on rebuild, which I understand. Uh, you know, just just say, you know what, we're just but they're real close right now. They're not quite yep. there. Jonas and DeLon Wright and uh, Jay Crowder could keep them in the realm of you know respectability while also developing. That's all. But if they want to. They could they could flip the switch right. and go Sixers. You know, we could, we could you could go all the way well, live with this I, thing. I sort of think the, the Boston pick I know is kind of that's that's I, out there. So I mean, the lottery's changed, right? So yeah. there's a, you, you have less control a little bit on positioning yourself. I sort of think they're in position to do that anyway. I mean, it, it depends on how the lottery breaks, which you can't control. The two most talented players on this team are both going to be 20 years old yeah. next year. Like yeah. They're going to be bad. Oh, Even yeah. if you bring Jonas back and you have Jake Crowder all year. No, you're, you're just limiting like, the damage at this point. You're going to be bad either way, yeah. right? 
And so this is something you're sort of looking way ahead here and something I thought about I haven't written about. Um, so, but I'll just say it here. The real tra- this is where you workshop our ideas. Yeah, anyway, the right? real yeah. trajectory for the franchise is to be bad enough. It's not to worry about can you know keep you know sending the pick to Boston and all that stuff. Right? Be bad enough to get your pick next summer. Yeah. Um, if you get a top six pick next summer, you will have had Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, and this top six picks three years in a row, and then you will go into next summer with massive cap space. And I'm not saying you got to be careful. I'm not saying go out and sign Chandler Parsons, but if you have your your three core young players together and all this cap space, maybe you maybe a year from now you make some moves to try to get competitive next season. And this could be a not to me like it's it's like if you, if you dip further now, the quicker you can zoom back up a year from now. Well, you know, to keep this daily Memphian related, I had this conversation with. Uh, Jeff Calkins, probably, I don't know, I want to say two years ago, maybe. It was a long time ago. I remember we were over at the some function at the Ten Roof, one of those media things or something like well, after right. a year. I don't know which way year it was. But we were talking about this, and I kind of had, I kind of floated that very discussion that you're talking about. Like, right. if you can thread the needle, it's not easy. Right. And they got lucky this year, obviously. But if you can thread the needle and end up with two high level lottery picks, and you can dip it down and then pop up in 2021 with an unprotected right. pick that is hopefully not as painful to give away as you might have thought originally. And again, the lottery luck comes into play there as well. You never know. But you have to treat that as a sunk cost. Right. You just have to go. They could be bad enough, Chris. If you're one of the two worst teams in the NBA, you guarantee to keep your pick. They could easily hit that. No, if they want to, they but, could easily But do my that. sort of point is it's not even about like making sure you don't give a really bad pick to Boston in that next year. Right. It's getting to the point where you don't care. Because That's if, what I mean. It's a sunk cost. If, you got to forget If you it. have your core, cores are really about three players now. They're not like seven, eight players, yeah. right? And so if you have your core, if you have John Morant, Lottery pick X next summer. Jaron Jackson Jr. Like that's our core. That's that. That's the core of the, the Grizzlies team that we think will compete for a title in three years, four years, right. five years, whatever. You get those core, those three players in place, then you're not trying. You're not caring about whatever the draft pick no. is, and now you're adding veteran role players, and like you're like, okay, this is our team, and we're hoping it'll get better over time. But like this is sort of it, right? Well, and that's the thing is, that's, and that's why you take on if you can. That's where it makes me a little reluctant about the Jonas thing. It makes me a little reluctant about some of this stuff. I'm of the mind that you just kind of pull the ripcord right here and you just say, look, let's just let's do this thing. Let's hoover up. If, you, if Dallas needs a little extra space, let's take on, you know, Courtney Lee. Let's do whatever we got to do. If, if somebody else needs some space, let's bring these guys in. Let's just let for the next couple of years, you know, let's work on the core on the one hand. And that that group that we're talking about this year, you build, you know, John, Jaron, figure out their chemistry, Brandon Clark, maybe uh, Dylan Brooks, see what he brings back to the table, that kind of thing. But then apart from that, your your other that's like one little mini team. The other little mini team is all these people that you're gonna bring in and do whatever with, and maybe you win, maybe you don't, whatever. Do all these roster moves on the side, but you can you can sort of wheel and deal and do a little arbitrage here, as a lot of teams have done. And these guys showed in the last week or so, they're very skilled at this kind of thing. This, they can do this, this stuff. This is why you gotta do that stuff. I endorse bringing Jonas back depending on the contract, right? Well, yeah, that's depending that's it, on yeah, the contract. I agree. But this is why I am not and I would bring DeLon right back depending on the contract. I would have a pretty firm ceiling. I agree. A pretty firm ceiling yeah. on what I would do. What's but your ceiling on DeLon? Below mid-level. Like yeah. I wouldn't match. I would say ma- three and like 20. Three, 20 yeah, and 24. Like that. Like I, that, I would so yeah. not match yeah. a full MLE. Yeah. And he may get a full MLE. He might. And if he does, I'm going to find. I think they need a veteran point guard in the mix. I'm going to see what I can get for three million or four million. Or Again, whatever. he's 27. Same kind of right. thing with Jonas. Like these are these are these are older ish quote unquote young players. But if I'm bringing Jonas back. 
and I'm signing either I'm signing Delon Wright or I'm signing someone in that three four million or whatever range, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not in a hurry to do anything else. I'm not no. in a hurry to use a mid level exception or like. I almost don't want to even fill up my roster. I want to keep an open roster spot so I can. Because like, they got a little bit of a roster situation, they're gonna have to they, do, deal they do. with some stuff. Here, and in know. a rebuilding situation, I would almost want to. A, have the financial flexibility to use that trade exception later in the season if a good opportunity arises. And B, have an open roster spot so I can just be cycling guys in and out and see if I can find Robert Covington like Philly did, right? That's the part of the process they should they should embrace is being able to cycle and they've been good at that like the you, right. you Bruno Cabo, they they found guys in these in these sort of situations so yeah I think that's exactly what they need to be doing that's why I think it's uh, this free agency you know it it's going to be really interesting right. to see how they approach it and to see what their thought is on this but. Uh, they, they have so many different opportunities. I, I thought at one point the fan base, and we're running a little long, so we'll wrap it up here in a second, but I thought at one point when we finally got to the rebuild, which was going to happen at some point, right. that fans would sort of struggle with that. And I think fans are not going to struggle with that as much because of the manner in which it's happened because you jumped up to two and you got John Morant. And people can see the John Morant, Jaron Jackson, and we're off and all that. Where, where I do think we it may be a little – as we get into the summer, people may struggle a little bit, some people – is this idea of not you're not worried about plugging all your holes right now. And this I this is going to be the first season in 11 years that the Grizzlies are going to enter an offseason not really their goal is not to make the playoffs the next year. Cuz the past 2 years they were bad but they wanted to make the playoffs no on the front end. Yep. Then they were in the playoffs 7 years in a row. And the last year before they got in the playoffs they went 14-42, you know, with Lionel's well, team yeah. they were trying to be good that year. This is the first year where the mindset is not, oh my God, we don't have shooting. Let's go trade you're, for Troy Daniels. You're right? not signing not, a Garrett Temple or something. Shelvin, to, you right. know, these kinds of things. You're not. And you, so yeah, it's and it's so true. it's not going to be like, hey, we don't have shooting. Like, who can we go sign with the mid level? Like, you're not worried about. Well, that. Here, and here's the thing, Chris. This is where I would give some uh, unsolicited advice to the to the to people at FedEx Forum. You know, you guys have done an excellent job so far in starting this process of rebuilding. Right. But depending on how the next few weeks goes you are going to need to communicate a little more openly and a little more fluidly about right. the long-term plan because those those questions that you bring up are going to be very logical from the fans. What are we doing? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? They can be answered. They don't have to be so paranoid about giving away all the trade secrets. You can find you can sort of find a way to explain that this is a long-term rebuild without, you know, specifically saying we're trying to lose games this year. What you you, you don't have to do that. And they can find a way. And I think they're going to need to do that. That's the next step. They've been good behind the scenes. I think very good, in fact. In front of the camera, not so much. All right, last question, quick quick response. Starting lineup, opening night starting lineup for the Grizzlies. Ja, Dylan, Kyle, uh, Jaron, uh, player, veteran center to be named later. Oh, you're you're predicting Jonas is not I think here. Jonas is going to be... Could be Biombo, maybe. Even, I, I, I'm not. Crazy. I'm not as convinced Kyle Corver is going to be on this team. And so, oh, are, you, are you doing Kyle Anderson? Yeah, Kyle Anderson. I'm not, I, I think Kyle is off, and I think Jay Crowder will be on the team, but but kind of coming off the shoulder. I don't know about Kyle. Yes, I'm, I'm going to. Well, let's say Kyle slash Jay Crowder. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go John Morant, Dylan Brooks, because I can't imagine Grayson Allen starting at the two. Nope. Maybe I'm going to go um, John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Jay Crowder. Um, which may be out of position for him at this point. Right. Um, Jared Jackson Jr., and I'm going to say Jonas Valanciunas is back. There you go. I mean, we'll see. All right. Peter Edmiston. Thanks. I didn't mean to take you long, Chris. I'm sorry. I got a little excited about something. We took her on a diversion. I'm I'm bad for you. I'm bad for your podcast. I apologize. I'm no, so that's sorry. good. That's, that's great. We, we love having you. We're going to make you come in again sometime. I, I love being here. Thank you very much. That's been Peter Edmiston from The Athletic and Sports 56. 
I'm Chris Harrington. This has been the Daily Miffy and Grizzlies podcast. Thanks to the OEM Network and Gil Worth. Thanks to Natalie uh, Van Gundy on the ones and twos over here. You can subscribe to the site at dailymiffian.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to this podcast and all of our other audio products uh, wherever you get your audio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.